Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Back at the boot camp, Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. We have a few in the can, and so we're able to record ahead of time again, like the professionals that we are. Bob, we're here in the great metropolis of Elk City, Oklahoma, with Route 66, having some historic markers here. And I think because we're near Route 66, Hertz yet again gave me a muscle car. Now I have a Mustang convertible. It's no Hellcat, but it's still pretty fun. I know. Are you going top down shirt off? Man, I wish it were warmer. I would. I don't know that there's any scenario where I would go top off of myself, but I would go. <laughs> I could go top down for the Mustang, but I don't. I don't see me taking my top off at any point. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it is very it's very cold. So we, we are north and west of the snow ice Mageddon that is Dallas Fort Worth. Yeah. And Elk City, Oklahoma. For those of you who have no idea where this is and are driving, and we don't want you. I to I had Google. no idea where it was till we planned this event. Right. It is. It is smack dab between Amarillo, Texas, where my son lives, and Oklahoma City, where some friends of mine live. And so we're right in the middle of the open prairie and plain. And there's actually quite a little metropolis here of yeah. Elk City, Oklahoma. And this is your first time in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, in general, yeah, like the whole state. Which I feel like I drove oh. half of it today. <laughs> landed in Oklahoma City and got in my Mustang and drove my way to Elk City. It's a very wide state, I should yeah. say, right? East to west, it's pretty wide. Yeah, we're in the panhandle of like the, mm -hmm. like, but the panhandle here feels like it's a lot smaller than the panhandle of Florida. Well, it is. Florida panhandle is bigger. Texas panhandle is bigger. So Oklahoma is uh, a, little bit, a, a, a little bit smaller. Yeah, but we had some good, we had prairie fire. Yeah. And so we're excited tomorrow, the day after we record this, we'll be jumping into our first Revive event. And here's what I'd say is, you're hearing this, probably coming pretty close to the Arizona and Illinois mm -hmm. Revive events. And so if we haven't shut down registration on those, you should jump in on those as well. It's me, it's you, it's Richard Blackaby, Mark Clifton, Frank Lewis, Joe Kreider, just a great crew pouring into guys. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. The focus is for pastors to encourage them. We know that pastoring can be hard and difficult. And not only do we want to encourage you, but we'd like to give you some helpful information and equipping along with just encouraging mm -hmm. you. Because yeah. you can go to an event, Jimbo, and you can get fired up like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm going to stay in ministry for a hundred more years. Yes. <laughs> but if, we, if you only have a feeling and you don't have some things that you can actually put a handle on and take home, you might not have that feeling on Monday after the next Sunday. Yeah, so we want to give you some meat to the bones that help you not only be encouraged to continue, but give you some things to implement, some tools in your toolbox, some perspective that gives you greater wisdom in your leadership. Absolutely. Well, speaking of which, one of the things we want to talk about is the importance of lay leadership in church renewal. And so talk. what is lay leadership, Bob? Yeah, lay leaders are non-ordained, non-vocational leaders, members of the church who contribute towards the welfare and the mission of the church. Mm, that's a good definition. As we think about that, one of the things I was talking with Joe Kreider in the car earlier today, and we were talking about the importance of lay leadership. And I said, and Joe agreed with me, and he's smarter and more educated than me, so I feel like it has to be right. 
his voice is really great too. He, he does. He doesn't have a voice. great voice. And by the way, Joe Kreider is the the director of the School of Worship for Southwestern. For those of you who don't know who Joe Kreider yeah, is, yeah. So I mean, this is kind of turning into we're being sponsored by Southwestern, but uh, <laughs> without receiving any actual sponsorship. No, I, uh, Joe is leading worship here and teaching about worship. And we were talking today as we were getting some things ready. I uh, just about one guy by himself, but and we talked about this in a previous episode by force of personality can maybe get some things done, but that's not sustainable. Really, sustainable renewal requires lay leadership buy-in. One guy just is not going to do it. It's not going to be enough. It can get something sparked. It can get something. It can be a catalyst, but for sustained renewal and health, and you have to have strong lay leadership. Absolutely. It's biblical, Jimbo. You think about 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about the body and all the different parts of the body, and where they're all needed. You don't have a body that's just eyes or hands or ears. I mean, it all works together. It all coordinates. It all has its part. And so Paul, when he's writing to the church, says, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. And so one of the things that that can happen in a pastor's mind sometimes is he takes on the responsibility of the church for himself, right? Mm-hmm. Or on himself, I should say. Like, I've got to do everything. I've got yeah. to be a thing. Now, we we also talked about, when we talk about the characteristics of a replanter, they're a resourceful generalist. Yep. And sometimes, Jimbo, in a solo staff church or in a church that's older, where you have a lot of older members, sometimes a pastor does have to bear a lot of weight and do a lot of different things. Yeah. But that's not how God designed it, right? And so there's a difference. And I think we've highlighted this before when we've said, as a resourceful generalist, you need to be able to do a lot of things, but you don't need to have the need to do all, everything, Yeah, right? You realize that you may have to cover some bases for a while, but ultimately you're supposed to, to help that body get mobilized for ministry. And one of your favorite verses, Ephesians 4, right? Talks yeah. about that, 4, 11, 12, talks about the fact that he's given leaders to the church for the express purpose, not of doing ministry, not of doing everything, but for the equipping of the saints for the ministry. Yeah. I like to say resourceful generalists are willing to do anything, but wise enough to not do everything. There you go. Love how you say that. So knowing how to develop leaders in the process. And here's one of the reasons I love that Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 part where it talks about the leadership of the church, equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. I think for people who are task oriented and productivity oriented, we can tend to forget that the ministry is about people. And we have to be pouring into people more than building great programs. Yeah. Now, people-oriented people that aren't as task-oriented, but they're more people-oriented, may forget that it's not just, I don't just need to love the people. I actually need to help equip them. Like, there needs to be movement and growth spiritually and in their ability to help build others into maturity. And there has to be some process to that where we're actively seeing something happen. And so I think it's that verse is like a corrective for either extreme. If you're all people, no task, it reminds you that there there is a task. The job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is described in the following verses as building one another up into maturity. But if you're all task-oriented, it reminds you the task actually isn't the goal. The, the people are the goal, and it's equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And so that's part of where being a resourceful generalist and being a control freak can look like the same thing on the outside, 
But part of it is actually, why are you doing the thing? Are you doing it to serve and to take care of something? Or are you doing it because if I equip someone else to do it, they won't do it as well? Mm-hmm. And that's being a control freak. Yeah. And sometimes it's easy to follow into that trap. The the latter thing that you mentioned about, I could give this away, but I don't want, I, I want it to be done this way. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I battle that. We all battle that, right? In different ways. Yeah. And I think one of the best things to do when you, if you are that, like, let's say for a replanter, it's the bulletin or it's the, you know, greeting or it's the prayer. They feel like, man, I really want it to be exactly like this. Well, that's your preference. And if it's not a biblical theological issue and they, and it's, you know, somebody's learning how to do that, they're going to do it in a style that, that conveys who they are. And here's the hard lesson for us to learn as pastors and replanters. We're not the end-all, be-all in terms of style. And we will connect with a large, and, and most pastors connect with a large group of people. But some people, like Jimbo, have you ever had the guy that preached his first sermon and you, you're sitting there the whole time trying to smile and not frown because it's a train wreck, right? And you're oh, just yeah. like, you're like, this is the worst sermon I have ever heard in my life. Yeah, and, I have a few that compete with each other. <laughs> yeah. And how are we going to remedy this? But then somebody comes up to that guy and says to him, man, that is the best sermon yeah. I've ever heard. And you're thinking, are, well, do you have headphones in? Are we like listening to the same thing? And the deal is, the Lord used him to convey biblical truth in a way yeah. that is different from you, yeah. and somebody connected with it mm-hmm. in a different way. So that principle also applies to ministry inside the church, that that we are not the standard of ministry, like yeah. for ministry excellence, right? We may do some things with excellence, but the Lord calls us to raise up other people to do ministry because there are other people and their their personalities and their styles and their approaches, their language, their insight, their background, their, you know, all the things that the Lord's going to use in, to, to meet and to speak to people in ways different than he does through us. I would say in ministry, if your pursuit of excellence is leading to isolation, you're Ooh, doing it wrong. There you go. Because if you use excellence as a bar that becomes so exclusive that almost no one can get to it, I feel like you've missed what this whole thing is about. Uh, so one of the, Neil Cole has a book called Cultivating a Life for God. It's a great book about discipleship and understanding discipleship in a biblical way. And one of the distinctions that he makes that I really like is he says, when it comes to, now this is not about leadership development, and that's the point he makes, is when it comes to discipleship, far too often discipleship looks like leadership development. And he goes, here's the problem with that. Not everybody in your church is called to be a leader. But every member is called to be a disciple. Mm -hmm. And so if your discipleship process does not allow for people who aren't, quote, unquote, excellence by your defined measure and you exclude them from discipleship, you have way missed the mark. Now, when it comes to leadership, certainly there's things we're gifted to do, called to do, and we want to use the gifts that God has given us for the edification of the body. And so we do need to identify. And there are some things... No matter how passionately I may want to sing a solo on Sunday morning, it's not a good idea. We've established that already yeah. several and, episodes ago. Yeah. And so it's, it doesn't matter. It, so you're excluding me not because I wouldn't be excellent, because I would be distractingly bad. Mm. It would not help accomplish the purpose. But I think, man, be okay with kind of the underdog mentality and the misfit, island of misfit toys, because that's kind of the way the whole... Christian church was built. 
like the vagabonds and fishermen and weirdos that Jesus always hung out with, right? And like he hangs out with Nicodemus and he intentionally leaves Nicodemus a little bit confused and unclear. But then he goes to the next chapter and he's with this woman with a really bad reputation that is trying to avoid talking to anybody. So she comes to the well during the heat of the day in John 4 because she's already got such a bad reputation. She's tired of hearing people talk about her. And that's who he tells, yes, I am the Messiah. And he, you see a revival happen, not in a Jewish community, in a Samaritan community, the misfits. And so don't get distracted by the pretty popular people. God usually works through the misfits. Yeah, I, I love that perspective. And I think it's really helpful. And I think it also is life-giving and it is hope-giving, Yeah, right? Because if you do look at the people who Jesus called, they weren't the elite, highly educated, et cetera. Now, Paul was probably the elite educated you know, mm-hmm. leader in his day, but he did have a, a bit of a, a, an issue with anger and, yeah. you know, he was trying to kill the church. Yeah. Right? So, well, I think there's some hints, too, that Apollos was a better communicator. Yes, there's true. You're right. There's true. And so, like, he, I think Paul was probably a really good written communicator, mm-hmm. but I think there's some hints that he wasn't necessarily that great of a verbal communicator. Right. Or at least not as good as a not as dynamic as Apollos. Right. And some whatever the thorn in his flesh was, right? It's not was I don't think it was deacons that were the thorn in his flesh. I heard somebody say one time it was his ex wife. <laughs> I don't know, Wayne. I've heard people say it was his eyesight, you know, yeah. and all because he always talks about what large letters I've written with, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. who knows? But the point is that, yeah, I mean, even and this is true for every single leader that we see. And Clifton and I were even talking about it today. There are so many pastors who appear to be, you know, this incredible leader and behind the scenes, and we could just start rattling off names. Like there, there are parts of leaders' lives who have large public platforms mm-hmm. that no one sees, but every single one of them has feet of clay. That makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah. There's a part of their life that is, and a part of their skill set that is not like most excellent. They're not 100% excellent, right? Yeah. They're good in some ways and, and not in some others. Well, and one of the distinctions I think we have to make is that while we should not exclude because of excellence and competency necessarily, I do think there are some things where we do exclude character flaws. Yeah. Obviously, they're, you know, as far as giving leadership. But another one I would say is emotional intelligence. And I, I pull this actually, I, I believe from Scripture, Romans chapter 12, where it says you shouldn't think, you should have sober judgment and not think too highly of yourself. Usually people with emotional intelligence overestimate their competency in certain areas, especially in social situations. They believe their social skills are better than they actually are because they're just not self-aware enough to know that their social skills aren't what they're supposed to be. There needs to be some help in understanding what it is like to have your talk be seasoned with salt and what it is like to not think too high of yourself and understand how God has wired you and operate within the fruit of the Spirit. And part of that being self-control and patience and gentleness and love and kindness. And those levels of maturity, I think, have to be considered depending on what type of leadership you're giving to a late leader. Absolutely. I think I'm going to take a little extra ramp off of that if I can. Come on. So you highlighted the fact of emotional intelligence being an understanding of yourself and how you come across. And maybe so if you lack self-awareness or some emotional intelligence in the sense of you're selling your skills and yourself at like a high level, like I'm Mm -hmm. a high level leader 
and you may be like a medium to lower level mm-hmm. leader, right? So there, there is, there is that. I think where I see some people get in trouble with emotional intelligence is they equate passion with competency. Yep. So I believe in this. I'm so excited about this. And I am, because of my passion, I am competent. And what I would say is you are captured by your passion, but your passion does not equate to competence. Yeah, absolutely. Just because you're really excited about doing something doesn't mean you actually have good ability to do it. Right. So when I started playing tennis, I was so excited about playing tennis and I kind of self-taught and I could hit the ball really hard and I figured some things out and I watched a few. There was a, I think a guy named Vic Braden or something that had like tennis books. It's interesting. He had a, he's a kind of an older middle-aged man that didn't look like a very effective tennis player. He wrote all these books about playing tennis. He's yeah. a, he looked like my dad. He had a comb over and he <laughs> was so so I figured out how to surf, right? Yeah. And I was really good up to a certain level, but then I would get out on the court in my passion for tennis and I'd play somebody who knew how to play and yeah. it would just be a disaster, right? So so I see this and we get asked this question a lot of times, how did you and I end up in the job that we have? Yep. And yep. so I love that people are super, super passionate about church revitalization and replanting and all those sorts of things. But sometimes passion doesn't equate with competence and knowledge, mm-hmm. right? The other thing I love about what we do and who we get to meet is there are a lot of people who are saying, man, I want to learn everything that I can. So I would just want to say to the guys out there who really want to make a kingdom contribution, a couple mm-hmm. of thoughts is, hey, man, go serve in a little church, either alongside a pastor or be a pastor, like learn and learn from lay leaders who've been serving around, you know, because we're kind of really talking about lay leaders, like yeah. learn from really good lay leaders who've been serving for a long time, and then see what the Lord teaches you, yeah. and then be humble, and then maybe go and try to serve another church before you create a website, develop a platform, all those mm-hmm. sorts of things, yeah. and serve alongside of lay, because I think some of the best pastors and leaders in the churches are lay people who've been there for decades. Yeah. So I love I love that aspect of how, the, how we as quote-unquote professional clergy can learn from lay people. Man, I think of so many lay people that have taught me more about street than pastors. Mm-hmm. And in in every church I've been in, I can name people. I can name Mr. Jerry that when I first started ministry would take me to jail ministry with him. And I learned how to preach going to jails and prisons. And, and then Mr. Gibson, who would take the van to the local university, pick up international students, take them to Walmart, help them get their groceries, and help them get back to their apartment. And he taught me, don't come on the van and just start spitting the gospel. Like, <laughs> build a relationship with them. They will ask. They'll bring it up, and you'll get opportunities. And And he taught me about cross-cultural ministry and evangelism. Right? And I think of a guy named Ansel in New Orleans that started to use his small group on Sunday nights to reach his lost neighbors. And it was reaching so many of his lost neighbors that the group outgrew his living room and he hired an interior decorator to knock out walls and make a bigger living room and then led her to Jesus. And then we baptized her and then she helped redecorate the church in New Orleans. And I mean, and this, he's a lay guy, right? And, and here was one of the things as far as lay people, because I know we have some lay people that listen to this. Here's what he, he came to our pastor and he said this, I want you to treat me like I'm a paid staff member. Hmm. 
Like that's the kind of accountability and expectations I want you to give to me. And I just think of John and Janice who have just said, hey, our ministry is loving kids and buddy. And I mean, I could just, I could just continue to name so many lay people that have made such a profound impact on my ministry, my life. Rodney Richardson that we had on the podcast yeah. before, Patty that I've talked about before. There's such an opportunity to make such a lasting and real impact in a church through good lay leadership. And so one, I, I guess I would want the pastors listening to this to recognize the gold mine that you have in your people. And people that you may even think you don't even know what to do with might surprise you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so many of the churches that we are seeking to encourage and, and the pastors that we're seeking to encourage and equip feel like if they can't hire somebody mm-hmm. or several somebodies to do ministry, then then they really can't do ministry. And so I, I think you've just made a good point through the, you know, kind of the hall of faith, fame of faith, you know, that you just listed through right there. Those are all individuals who have made significant contributions to the kingdom. So, you know, people say it this way, God has given you every resource you need to do the ministry he's called you mm-hmm. to do. And so part of it is discovering that and unleashing that. And mm-hmm. then what that typically does is, as your people are, as they're unleashed for ministry, then more people come and more people come and more people come. And so you become a mobilizer of people for effective ministry. That's good. That's a good word, man. And so for the lay people listening, I just want to say you're not playing a small or insignificant role. I mean, this is huge. I'm convinced that for great renewal to happen in the North American church, it will primarily come from pulpits or pundits, but from the pews. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.